Hi, and welcome to Herbology. I'm Anne. And I'm Kevin. And on this episode of our podcast, we are going to be covering Bury Me With Your Guns On, Season 1, Episode 9. Written by Alexandra Zaroni, directed by Ron Murphy, and this one aired May 27th, 2016. This episode. This episode. Uh, And a quick spoiler warning for any new listeners, welcome. But also keep in mind, we're going to talk about anything and everything from the entire series. Trust me, I have lots of notes (laughs) that allude to further things. Uh, And I think Anne will as well. So just a, a quick spoiler warning there. Yes, I, I, I try not to do too much of uh, future things to come, but you just you can't help yourself when you've seen the future like we have. <laughs> <laughs> we become prophets at this point. And I think we could probably make a whole episode just on the opening scene alone, if you ask me. <laughs> we could do a whole episode on like seven scenes from this episode. Come on, man. There is so, so much here. And it is just, oh. Yes, it's very rich. It's it's one that we we could ping multiple areas off of. Uh, I'll do my best to stay coherent. Um, (laughs) No guarantees. (laughs) No guarantees. Uh, I do love so very much this opener. And I love how we have Doc narrating it. And we're seeing these um, these flashes of Winona, whiskey soaked and reckless as she is. And he says, the thing about an herb, they are survivors to the core, quick to recover, tenacious, committed to their cause. The thing about this herb is she is all these things with demons for miles. I just love that scene. Yeah. And like you said, having Doc do that kind of voiceover thing, that's not something we normally get. So. No, and it was really cool with like the slow mo with her just being so careless and him as like this observer, just kind of letting her do like realizing that this is something she needs to do and just kind of sitting back and letting her do what she needs to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we're seeing just how affected she is from this whole Jack situation and from everything else that she's come up against up until now. And I was just kind of thinking about how sure she's had like her share of pain and anguish before she even became the heir. You know, everyone told her she was crazy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And you'd think maybe she'd have some relief at this point knowing like, you know what? I wasn't crazy this whole time, but the reality of what's going on is so much harsher than what she even had to deal with before. Now that she has this job to do, you know, she's got the curse and without, her doing what she needs to do her family's going to be in constant danger and it's just it's so much for her to take on and we see how this is all affecting her here in episode nine and how it's going to become this ongoing battle for her well and we've talked on on many of our episodes so far about the impact of the curse and what she's doing on her and, and trying to bring in some discussions about her past that we've been getting little nuggets dropped on. But this episode certainly reminds us not only of all of that and what she has to deal with, but also how much she lives in the now, in the moment to try to, and and how much it helps it in dealing with her. I mean, she's tying one on for the ages, as we know on this evening, and we've got some future stuff we find out about later in this evening, 
um, that at least she's trying to, as doc says, she's just trying to, um, I wouldn't say unwind, but she's trying to release, trying to have a bit of a release as we end up with a discussion even later in the episode about, you know, being all tightly coiled up and all. So it's rewatching this and thinking about this scene and hearing what doc is saying here is really to me, just like, wow, the weight of what my owner is dealing with. It's just, it's just, it's a lot. Yeah, it's it's so much. And it's like you and we've said it before and we're going to say it again. It's like, how how can you how could you judge her for this? Like she she doesn't what what other coping skills does she have at this point? And it's like she's doing the best under the situations that she the situation that she's come up against. And she's you know, she's self-medicating with sex and booze and she's kissing all the guys and and then we see that she's having these flashbacks and you know this real ptsd moments are are popping through and um you know at one point she you know she thinks that it's jack that's this guy and um she starts to push him away and and they kind of struggle a little bit and then we have doc come in with that great line she ain't anybody's but her own and i i just i just love how Doc is so forward thinking that way with me. He's an old timey guy, but he just, you know, Winona's not somebody's property. Yeah. Yeah. Cause again, we good, you know, just a little bit of Pete. Pete tends to be around when things are happening with Winona (laughs) as we're going to see even a little later in this season. So he's enjoying the moment when he thinks he's all over him, even though she doesn't call him by right name, but and then uh, when Doc gets in the middle, Pete's not an idiot. He he backs off quickly. Yeah, exactly. But it's also, you know, on this watch for the sake of the podcast, too, it's just got me thinking to stuff that we're going to see come forward when we find out that, you know, she left Shorty, so was kicked out or shut off and ended up, this is the whole issue with her going to Pussy Willows mm-hmm. and getting together with Jonas later on. I mean, hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo, big stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't make me fast forward to my notes. I got—I have to scroll down too far to get to that analysis. Yeah. Well, I just—it's, you know, this is one of the great things on the rewatch and an organized rewatch of looking forward and back and all on it. Like, oh, once we learn that later in this show, it just makes some of the events here just make, um, you know, it all ties in. Also makes more uh, more sense. I mean, even a little bit later when Dahl sees wine owner, he's talking about the fact. That, she, you know, drunk the place dry. So, I mean, everybody knows. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really tied went on. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a small town. People talk. A small, yeah. And we get some of that coming out in conversations with Nedley and dolls later in the episode. So much of this ties into each of these scenes. Yeah. And on further analysis, like you said, it's just, yeah, it's episode nine, but we've got all these <laughs> parts to pick apart that you can place later on down the line that are, are going to be important or, yeah. you know, make me look at them now and go knowing what I know now, um, it'll come up in a bit, but it's like certain scenes just are, are hitting me in a way that they didn't hit me the first three times I watched them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that we have this history going back, it's that some of these scenes, I'm just like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we've got her talking about how this coil is, you know, just wound up so tight and she, she thought she'd feel different after she got the seven, like she'd feel some kind of, kind of release or relief. And, um, you know, that she just, she hates the curse, stupid. And she's questioning, you know, what did Wyatt do to mess us up so bad? Yeah. We're going to find out, you know, why the curse is 
here in the first place in this episode. Yeah, a lot more backstory coming from Constance. Yeah. And then here's here's my note, Kevin. <laughs> scene Winona struts. Is, I call this the Winona strutting scene. And the scene is such a great scene strutting down the hall to great music as usual into BBD with her coffees and her new attitude, looking none the worse for the wear after her very big night out. Um, but yeah, all the activities that happened the night before are going to be the activities that come back to us in the most unexpected of ways in season two, episode seven, when Winona takes Nicole to Pussy Willows on the mission. And we have her recounting how she got pregnant. Mm-hmm. I had to go and find the exact like scene and, and paste them side by side. <laughs> I'm like, let me just make sure that this is the same exact scene. Um, but I remember seeing that in um, season two, episode seven and going, oh, my God, the way they they reused this bit of story and the way they made it a flashback and they wove it into the fabric of the pregnancy later on was just brilliant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely rewarding us as viewers for paying attention to story, how it plays, how it interacts, how the rewatches allow us to see more as we go back. Yeah, it is. It's wonderful. Wonderful storytelling. I mean, ingenious too, because they didn't need to reshoot anything. They just recycled the bits from before. Um, but it's it's a scene so great we get to see it twice. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, t- talking about Winona strutting in the BBD. I mean, all I can say is, wow. To, yeah. To quote dolls, wow. Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, I mean, his comments. Um, you know, couldn't find any leather pants, title leather pants, whatever. But also the the little subtle thing that I don't know if I ever noticed before is after she comes in and he first sees her and, and all that is when they start talking and he turns to walk into the other office. So she's behind him. He just mouths. Wow. <laughs> Did he? I'll have to go yes. back and look. Yes. When they're talking about the outfit and, and all of what happened. Uh, yeah, I don't think I noticed that before I got to say, but yeah, go back and catch that. You'll kind of just look at, look at doll space at that point. Yeah. I mean, and it's cute too, because like, you know, he's pretty reserved, but even, you know, he, he can't even help himself where it's just like, okay, I'm going to make a funny joke here, but oh my goodness, it was, it was a very, very hot strut. Uh, but yeah, she's feeling refreshed and you know, her plan is she's just going to keep going one at a time until she gets them all. And then they can party in Cancun. Um, it reminded me of that old saying, like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? It's like, she's just, she's just got a new plan. She's just going to do it one at a time until she gets them all. And based on that conversation she had with Doc and uh, seeing emotionally how much it, it impacted her uh, and knowing everything that went on this evening, for her to bounce back that strong the next day, it's just showing us again how resilient she is. Because choosing oh. to take, uh, if you will, control of it rather than feeling controlled by it with the curse and all hating all just like no i am just gonna go at it full full bore you know and until dolls drops the the bomb about the psyche vow right up till then she's thinking i'm i'm in control of this again mm-hmm. just so like mentally strong yeah yeah this just reinforces it yeah. even more 
Mm-hmm. And that whole assessment thing, I mean, she's in a great mood up until that. And then bam, out of nowhere. I mean, I guess it's protocol when like something happens in the field. Um, but yeah, she's, she's reserved about it because she's already been told she's been crazy a million times before she brings up again, um, you know, comes up again about her past with psychological evaluations, um, when she was younger. So, you know, this isn't new territory for her and she's, she's, doesn't like the things of the past and you know she doesn't like to have it come up again and you know it starts out making sense the questions that they're asking are like you know is she getting enough sleep is she startling more easily and those are all like standard like PTSD kind of things it seems but then it takes a turn and the woman starts asking her when the last time she had sex was and bringing up the bomb from the bleaker case and how it is traced back to a young woman who briefly ran with the banditos and Winona ran with the banditos um, and how two people died and asking Winona if she considers herself a murderer, which I thought was interesting because we don't hear Winona's answer. I'd be curious to see like, if she answered that or how she would have answered that. But it's, it's all this stuff that we never get to find out, right? That bleaker case, the things with the banditos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think she did an amazing job deflecting on that. I mean, those questions were way out of bounds. You know, my, to me, I've always wondered if those questions were planted by Lucado. Yeah. I was just like, you know, to kind of give, to screw up dolls and his mission. And she's obviously got it out for him still, as we know at this point. Yeah, and that's, then, that's what I'm thinking. And then the part where she asked, um, like specifically, when was the last time she had sex? I was thinking, does BBD know that she just slept with a revenant? Is that, I mean, we didn't know then. We don't find out until season two that she slept with the revenant. But it's like, did BBD know? And is that why they're specifically asking? I don't yeah, know were they, this... were they, were they, you know, tailing her or something, like you said, or what else might have been going on? Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if the story knew because this was something that was seems like it was mostly just written in for season two. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back, I was like, why, like, is there a correlation between this, her having sex with the rev with Jonas and this, or are they just trying to imply like that they know she's been with, with doc? Like it was just weird. Right. We don't know. We don't know the answer to that question. No, no. But really what we do get out of this scene is that, you know, she feels really betrayed by dolls and she just can't believe that, you know, he let her sit in there alone with this woman who just, um, you know, she was like fed to the wolves, basically. And he's like, but this whole exchange is where she's like questioning their relationship. And she's like, you know, admit it. You care about me. We're not just colleagues. And he just tries to keep up this act and kind of diminish everything saying, well, you're not even really a real deputy. And then she calls him out on his bullshit. And she's like, you know, I'm vital to this operation. And she's, this is where we get the quote that she's the chick with the big ass gun who sends the fiends of hell to their death. Um, But we see her vulnerable there too, where she's just kind of like, you know, you left me alone and I was scared. She admits that she was scared. Yeah. He's, you know, he's, he's a dick. Okay. Mm -hmm. Plain and simple. Um, And that was brutal and that was cruel. And I kind of, you know, we know, or at least we think we do a bit by this point in the series, you know, that we know him a little bit and kind of why he's like that, but still leaving her that left out in the cold after what happened. Very not cool. I mean, I was very upset with him. I know first time through after that happened. And good on her for calling him out on it too. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. You know, she's yep. just, nope. you know, I... she tears up and everything. And she's like, I, I just can't believe it. And then she calls him a pussy and walks away. And yeah, I was glad she did that. I know. I love that she was just like, you know what? No, you're a pussy. See ya. Bye. <laughs> yep. Um, is that the part where she says, have fun with your girlfriend too? Yeah. 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 Cause, yeah. <laughs> yeah and then You've been on. talking about being married to the job and he tried to say it's only his girlfriend. But yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah or joking later on or picking on herself even that you know what kind of what kind of walk away line is that I'm like, yeah. that's okay i was okay you did okay <laughs> yeah I, under the circumstances Chances, yes I, I can't believe she could come up with anything she's, <laughs> she's lucky she got that pussy drop in there um but and and like looking back on it now we don't know what kind of situation he was in with this either like we know that lucado was pulling a lot more strings than we knew about and that he was you know he was vulnerable because he needed the drugs and uh, the lizard drugs and all that stuff. So, but still at the time it did not, it did not play well. That's for sure. No. That, that's why I say this episode for me has got such an emotional swing, you know, of being upset, being happy and, and everything in between on this one. So where do we go next in here? We have, I don't know why I have this funny quote here because it's, it comes from when Winona's in the bar at Shorty's and she's like, you know, they're overhearing kind of that. Um, oh, I know because Winona goes straight from the sheriff's office to Shorty's and Waverly's there and Waverly's overhearing that Shorty's is going to be sold. Mm-hmm. And this quote I didn't pick up the other times before, but Winona says, and she's like looking at the real estate guy. If that ass hat's a real estate broker, then I'm an oil baron's labradoodle. <laughs> Just that was so funny because like Winona saying Labradoodle is just so out of character. <laughs> like, why didn't I notice that one before? Oh. Oh. <laughs> it's just like one of those throwaway ones that does doesn't get enough credit. Nope. Yeah. And then and then we have all the stuff going on with Constance where, you know, she goes, she gets, she, you know, she mows down some of Bobo's guys and, and she gets her son's bones back. And looking back at Constance in this episode, I really for I really feel bad for her this time around because she may be a bad bitch, but at the end of the day, she was just a mom driven to do what she did because she wanted her sons back. You know, she really just thought that she was going to resurrect them and get out of the triangle. And and this is where we say from each character's viewpoint in the show, whether it's one of our main characters or one of these supporting ones, we get so much rich information and we're going to get even more Later on, when we get to see Constance back in the day, shall we say? Um, But yeah, here, she's been a real nut job (laughs) so far from what we've seen. So getting to see her caring about her boys, Mm -hmm. as she refers to them, the fact they weren't revenants, but obviously not human either from the look of it. So yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, this is one of those things where in this show, you have got to have an open mind to take a lot of this in. And when you do... That's where you see, I think, like you just mentioned, more of the mom side of her than the crazy witch side of her. Yeah. It's like when when I look at it that way, where it's like she, you know, yeah, she did the curse and, you know, she did the horrible things to Doc. I mean, that was uncalled for. Um, but in this episode, you know, her real, her big thing is like, she's just, she's hell bent on getting her sons back together. It's like, oh, now, now I just feel bad for her. <laughs> <laughs> she, and she plays the comedy. How do you say her name? Raisa? Yes. Uh, she she plays the comedy so well in this episode, too, where she she goes from, you know, the crazy, angry witch to like 
some of her her lines when she's taken out to the salt flats are just so funny the way she delivers them. <laughs> <laughs> and we have Doc and Winona venting about all the killing at the homestead. And I like that Winona has Doc to talk to about this because he's he's done a lot of killing in his time too. So he can he can relate to her on this level. Well, and this is even more because I think for me as a viewer, the first, certainly the first, maybe a couple times even through the series, but certainly the first time things are going to develop. We're going to talk about how similar Winona and Doc are. But this episode is showing us a great deal about that because the two of them and what they've gone through being able to talk about these different things. Because even if we jump back to what happened at Shorty's with, with Winona drawing Peacemaker on the real estate guy and Doc being able to understand why and even try to talk her down from, okay, that wasn't as bad as you might be thinking it is. That's really helpful. I mean, she could totally spiral. I mean, she is so wound up. The ability of him to kind of tell her, okay, you know, I get it. You know, that could have been a deep, you know, mistake almost anyone could have made because of what was happening with uh, the sales guy and, and my known as view of him being a true real estate guy, but, but their ability to talk about that and to talk about the idea of, of the rush of, of killing someone. And being able to understand it. I mean, that's that's dark. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's really dark. Right. But the and two of them can totally get it more than almost anyone else is going to on this show. Yeah. And the way she's just like, you know, I'm just I'm so angry. And Doc refers to that as the itch. And mm-hmm. he talks about like there's this certain power that comes from taking another life and he calls it a dangerous drug. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that he that she can lean on him for that and just like, you know, to have this common ground as weird as as it is it's like at least you know i always joke about there's like there should be a therapist in purgatory but it's like at least she has him to vent to about this you know yeah yeah you know this this it's just that conversation has got some it's dark but it also really shows us how much the two of them are how similar they are and also how much they're able to be there for each other really Mm -hmm. she says she says something in that part um she says she would rather chase the dragon than be a pathetic victim. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's an interesting choice. Yeah, of choice words. of words. They've <laughs> <laughs> well, said he's a lizard before, but I'm like, <laughs> dragon. Hmm. Yeah, that's a nice one right there, isn't it? No idea what that meant first time nope. through, did we? Okay. Nope. And then we pick those <laughs> words out now, like dragon. Yep. All the more reason to keep having those subtitles on. Mm-hmm. Um, then we, uh, then we have this scene, Kevin, oh, the scene, hot and Nedley and hot's in there. And she's giving Nedley her report and Nedley's just giving her shit about it. And she's her use of words like supernatural and unworldly. And she's like, come on, you got to admit this place is weird. Stuff is happening and it doesn't make sense. And this scene has always made me so mad, but it makes me even more mad now that I know the whole story behind him and Nicole that here she's the officer that he's been keeping an eye on all of her life. He saved her and he's believed in her all this time. And here he is like, gaslighting her and basically threatening her saying, well, maybe you should resign if like you're going to keep up with this nonsense. And the look on her face when she says that she doesn't want to resign. Of course, she doesn't want to resign because she says she likes it here. You know why, Kevin? Because everything good in her life is here, Kevin. 
Her future is here. She's going to watch over the whole damn triangle. Like I said, this episode has so much. <laughs> Her broken that face. Stuff comes she's flooding like, in like a emotionally kicked puppy. I know. And I try, I try to justify Nedley's position a little bit as a little bit of tough love. Mm-hmm. Meaning he can't, he doesn't want to jeopardize her by just owning up to the fact there is that kind of stuff here. So yes, it's, I, I, it hurts to see him do it, but I think he's trying to do it a bit in a parental way of, okay, I can't have you go down that road yet. So I'm going to have to try to, you know, stop you from thinking like that. But yeah, once it's uh, based on what we've all seen now, it's so tough to see her deal with it, but she does it so well. She does. Right. It doesn't break mm-hmm. her. She doesn't break down until mm-hmm. she's upset. But you can also tell that she truly does love what she's doing and wants to be there. And it's important that Nedley knows that. That's mm-hmm. that's going to be big going forward. But yeah, this this one is tough. It's tough on the rewatch because you know yeah. so much more that's going to be happening between them. Is it I like gotta, he's trying to keep her safe? Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> that whole line a little later to Dolls about, uh, you know, we both have to protect our deputies and you kind of understand it a little, or at least I did. I kind of mm-hmm. understood it, even if I didn't agree with it a little more when he says, Hey, we gotta, you know, we gotta keep safe. We gotta work together um, for that benefit too. So he's doing it, I think to protect her, but it's still tough to watch, but this is also, and I bite my tongue now for discussion in a few episodes uh, later in the season is, you know, seeing him pull that out, that poured out of the trash mm-hmm. and that whole, pile of stuff he gives to dolls is when certainly in the first time through you're like oh okay so maybe nedley might be okay right you know so i mean it's important there too to what he's going to become and we learn more about him rather than just being the fumbling local sheriff right and i just remember being like i mean i'm mad now but i remember being so mad when he pulls that like he flat out tells her like this is ridiculous and then as soon as she leaves he pulls it out of the trash and then talks to dolls and i was like you jerk face like you just told her she was crazy and again now i'm like a little bit too like you know maybe he wasn't 100 percent sure about dolls and i mean he wasn't 100 percent sure about dolls no, i mean he, he just has the have, conversation yeah. now and he's like listen let's maybe help each other out and it's still very new and so i get that too but because it's, it's a lot to me too it ties into what we're going to see later when he has to tell her, you know, the, with Tucker and playing the long game. Right. Okay. He's got a big picture. He's trying to make sure and bringing her in on the inside of you. Well, when the mm-hmm. time is right. So I, I have to kind of look at that and go tough to watch her go through it, but I understand why he kind of had this approach because until he and dolls had their agreement uh, and we see that he's been just watching people to try to learn things. Um, there's a time for bringing her in. So, you know, I kind of get it, but you're right. Emotionally, man, that was one of those, you know, wince. I, I literally wince when I hear him saying those words to her. Right. But I also love that she's strong enough not to let it break her and not mm-hmm. to say, no, I can't do it. Or, hey, you're, I can't believe you can't see what I see. Yeah. And, and we talk about Melanie's face a lot, but I think in episodes like this too, like some of the hurt reactions on Nicole's face are just such a, I don't know if it's the brown eyes or what, but just like <laughs> such a wounded puppy dog face that it's just like, it hurts even more. 
<laughs> it's different from Melanie's full-on sobbing. It's just like, oh, I feel so bad for you right now. Yeah, but I also can't help myself, but also think about knowing what's going to happen between her and Waverly later in the episode. Like I'm, I'm saying, I'm mentally like, it's okay. Just wait a few minutes. It's going to get a lot better. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> There's a few more kicks, but then it's just going to, it's going to be yeah, fine. It's going to be okay. Trust me. But yeah, <laughs> kudos to her. Really kudos to her. Uh, and then, uh, then we get our classic lesbian, not a unicorn scene and I don't just that even... whole dialogue is so brilliant, so brilliantly written. It's just the whole setup, the delivery of it, how the two of them do it. Oh my goodness, is that just like mwah, chef's kiss from a dialogue point? Of view. Yeah, I mean Nicole, you know, she's fresh off of these wounds from Nedley, and she comes out all in a huff out of the office and practically runs into you know unsuspecting Waverly and this the the classic situation where it's complete misunderstanding, like a who's on first kind of conversation where they're both just talking about two totally different things is it's so funny and so sweet. And just, yeah, like you said, chef's kiss, it's just so perfectly crafted. It just gets funnier and funnier. Nicole's tone is like, what are you even talking about right now? (laughs) Waverly's just so sure of herself and, uh nicole's like i'm not crazy something's going on here right uh mm-hmm. and you know waverly yeah well i'm just not sure i'm ready to get into it because it's really personal and it's different for everyone <laughs> and nicole's saying yeah it's personal for everybody but they must know right they must whisper <laughs> about it right <laughs> waverly's like what oh my god i hope people aren't whispering about it um yeah it's just the and then Waverly saying, "No, I get it. You're a lesbian, not a unicorn, right?" And she's just she ends up thinking she's making fun of her and just kind of storms off. It's just it's funny, but at the same time, you're stuck sitting there going, "No, no, 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 no! Back up, rewind, just turn around." This, this could have been it. This could have been so much fix more. This, fix this because we don't know how long we're going to have to wait for this to get fixed, right? Yes, yes. Oh. Yes. Another one of those times watching a show where you want to see two characters get together and then something like this. And you're like, no, this had to be the chance. But I also got to give Waverly credit because as we know, and we're going to see even more of it in this episode of the whole series, she's still unsure. She wants to reach out and start this and it goes horribly wrong. So the Mm -hmm. fact that it doesn't totally put her in a spot without dealing with it, you know what I mean? She's at least able to get past this. You know, because this could have been something just like, okay, I can't even bring this up then. This obviously didn't, this went horrible. I'm just not going to say anything. Right. It's interesting how Nicole is is upset to a degree, but not like super upset. And she walks away and Waverly is just standing there. You know, she doesn't chase after her. She doesn't whatever. But I'm so curious too, now that we've had this scene and we know everything. This was before she even talked to Gus. Right. So like, what was she? What was she going to say if this wasn't so misunderstood? You know, because I always felt that like the real impetus was Gus, but it seems like she was already making that move forward. It just went horribly wrong. Well, she was trying, I think. So that's where I think it's important. The scene coming up with Gus is more of that push Mm because I think Waverly to a certain degree was hoping to start to explore this. It went horribly wrong. So she might have closed down 
you know, I'm not going to speak for her or others, but I'm thinking of myself sometimes, you know, you try to try to reach out to someone you have some feelings for, and if it doesn't go well, man, you can just shut down. And, but, and then yeah. hearing that stuff with Gus is just going to remind her even more. You, you got to go for it in life, kid. You got to go for it. Yeah. And thank goodness, Emily, we'll get to it, but thank goodness, Emily didn't torture us much longer because <laughs> this was a real push and pull episode right yes, and it's woven in with all this other stuff that's happening too that's pivotal to the story like bobo and constance in the lead you know we've got this bobo and constance standoff at the boundaries uh, not the boundaries the boundary and bobo wants her to give him the lead because he's fulfilled his end of the bargain and then up pops drek her pieced together mishmash of sun that she could only make one complete one and boba i thought this was funny boba says i see he has his father's looks <laughs> and i thought it was funny this time around because bolshar's like this totally bald guy <laughs> and drek is just like this hairless bald guy but we didn't know what bolshar looked like later or who his father was no so no now that we know i'm like oh yeah it's and, and we've also been hearing about this lead thing and we have no idea what it is yet either. So it's very confusing. And it's so interesting even now because she's like, I don't have it. She knows what it is. She's like, I know it is still in the triangle. And we didn't know at the time. Like, we're just like, it wasn't an it, but a who. But this whole time yeah, it's all yeah. it, 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 which was just such a good way to just mislead us this whole time and i love in the postmortem with bridget for this episode bridget asks a great question and she says does he meaning bobo maybe think that the lead is buried at shorty's and that's why he bought the bar you're probably not going to tell us and emily's answer is i'm not going to tell you <laughs> <laughs> just flat up i'm not going to tell you <laughs> That's where Bridget does a great job of, of being one of us, knowing I really want to ask this question, but also knowing very well that we're probably not going to have an answer, but you got to take a shot, right? Right. I just love it. She's just like, yeah, I'm not going to tell you that one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. And then in that scene too, we also have, you know, Doc who just really wants to kill Constance and Winona absolutely will not let him which is interesting because their relationship is still very new, but she knows that if he kills Constance, that it's going to kill him as well. So she just, she refuses to let him hurt himself that way. And, you know, we know how committed Doc is, his vengeance for the, for Constance, for the stone witch, but obviously he's got it real bad. If he's willing to get out of bed with Winona to go after her. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. And in that scene, she like she reminds him in that scene when they're they're back at the homestead, um, you know, just she brings up the coil again, just kind of using his words, you know, back at him. And then she convinces him that she has another way. Why, Kevin? Because if there's one thing Winona has taught us, it's oh, always there's a always another way. Yes. I was like, there it is right there. <laughs> Another way. And her way is really interesting. It's a way to make the suffering last even longer, which is which is pretty sick and cruel for Winona. But it's also <laughs> a way to keep Very Doc alive, right? Yes. 
Yes. Uh, and that's when they haul her off to the salt flats. And uh, I just think the way they leave her in this episode is so poetic because, you know, first that Winona finds that loophole that if Doc digs the hole, but Winona is the one to bury her, you know, Doc didn't. Doc didn't do this to her. He just dug the hole, right? So that keeps Doc safe. But the fact that they leave Constance there all alone and unable to die where no one can find her. It's, you know, very much the way she left Doc alone and unable to die, but in a well. Yes. Poetic justice. So poetic. <laughs> and so scary. <laughs> just... But then why no one was able to take the time to think about this whole thing and and uh, loopholes, as she says, you know, to make it all work. Uh, it's both brilliant and scary all at the same time. Uh, yeah, her brilliant mind. <laughs> it works very fast and it's good at what it does. Yeah. Now, I also really thought it was uh, quite interesting, the showdown that occurred between Bobo and Constance and then Winona and Doc, uh, you know, out at the, uh, the point where she was trying to cross Coast River Triangle when... Uh, she's out there with Peacemaker threatening to kill Bobo, and Doc will not let her in no uncertain terms. You know, for two people who were just a few minutes ago in bed together, man, have they turned. Yeah. When they got different agendas on what they're trying to accomplish. Uh, you know, and she threatens to blow the gun right out of her, her hand. Yeah. And <sighs> some of his tone there is very reminiscent mm -hmm. of the way he talks to her in season four when he's trying to convince her to do the standoff with him. And you're reading my notes. <laughs> <laughs> because again, they've gone from being, you know, kind of, like I said, in bed together um, to where, you know, way, way past that way on to uh, own agendas. And, but again, it's because the two of them realize they are the same person. Yeah. And they just know how to push They know each how to push buttons. buttons. Yes, they know how to push buttons. But they also know that, as, as Winona demonstrates here, by, by coming up with a way to make Constance suffer and Doc can still stay alive, he knows that she truly does have his best interest. Mm -hmm. And she's kind of learning, I wouldn't say to trust him yet, but certainly to understand the decisions he's making. So the fact that the two of them, especially at several points in this episode, can be at odds with each other. And then shortly afterwards, kind of like, okay, well, I understand why you did it. Let's move on to something else rather than harboring a grudge. Right. Yeah. I because mean, I think they understand each other so well. They, they, I think they look at this and go, yeah, you know, I would have done that if I was in his or her shoes at that point. Yeah. Too. She's, she's throwing insults at him saying, you know, you're just nothing. And he's like, I'm not going to let some broken woman's valuation of my yeah. character. And, and Constance loves this drama. Oh, right? she loves she it. She says how she's it's playing oh, it to it's her benefit. History repeating itself. <laughs> and she says, how many herps can he fail in one lifetime? Yeah. Like, man. Oh, Ooh. gosh. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, um, in, before they take her to the flats, that's when they find out about the curse too, right? And yeah, we, find we all out about the curse. We learn a lot more about what's going on there, and in and in now in the in the ability to look forward to what's happened or what happens. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think you know. Certainly, first time through, while you heard the words and started to figure it out, you didn't truly grasp uh, a mm -hmm. lot of what was going on there uh, with Constance choosing to do the well thing just to hurt uh, Wyatt. Uh, right. Aside from curse stuff from, you know, from Bullshock. I mean, so you got double whammies going from both of them there. 
and then how what she tells us in this scene and how we get to piece that together in uh, the vision quest episode just that just gets so trippy too. how we get to take you know her facts and match them up with the facts that we see from the vision quest um yeah so you know her basically you know throwing doc in the well was just because she knew that wyatt loved him so much yeah. and she wanted to she basically torture wyatt yeah and mm-hmm. poor doc like the look on his face when he realizes that that's what happened and why that happened and he kind of like he, he his lip quivers and he asks her like well did wyatt ever soften and go looking for me it's just like he stops and he thinks like he's he's he takes that moment where it's like, okay, this horrible, like he's pissed off that this happened, but then he's like, well, wait a minute. Did he love me enough to actually go looking for me? It's just, it's, you see the heart of doc, right? Like he does so many of these horrible things, but then you see this, this, this core of him. That's just still so good. And so like sweet. Well, again, we see, we see the tough outside, right? Mm -hmm. But we realize that like any of us as a person, there's still emotional points that, hurt, hurt bad. And that was one of them when it came out, you know? So that's why a lot of these characters, even when they're doing things we may not agree with, we tend to emotionally understand some of the choices. And in that scene, when Constance is talking about, you know, the things, the way things that went down, she says to Doc, you're a good sidekick, dear Doc, but you've yes, never, yes. <laughs> you'll never be a hero. Perpetual second side choice. Kick. Yep. Yes, sidekick. Ding, 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 ding. But in the end, everyone chooses the lawman. And that's him talking with Cleo in 407. It sure is. And she sure is. I mean, it goes all the way to jump to there. And she says, Why are you helping me? And with that sad face, because this is just after he finds out that um, Nicole was going to give him to ma'am. He says, it's what I do. I'm a damn good sidekick. Good sidekick. Yes. Ugh. Foundation laid here back in 109. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's we kind of see it throughout the series, but I'm just saying the phrasing and, and the, the oomph of, mm-hmm. of hitting him is right there. And it also makes me think about, you know, how she, it's also that dagger too, where she says, um, you know, but in the end, everyone chooses the lawman. And you have to think, you know, Doc's falling for Winona, but he's wondering to himself, but is she going to choose the lawman, which would be dolls in this situation? Mm. Just so much going on there. Mm-hmm. I yes, love there like being able to like go through with the Rolodex of my brain and be like, okay, <laughs> I know this line comes up somewhere else. And then I have to think, <laughs> okay, and I see the pictures in my head. <laughs> what's going on it's it's so exciting it is on these rewatches and thinking about doing these podcasts when we can see you know it's just it's that ability to look and go yes we're down the line this is going to come in here i remember that from there this is exactly back to here (laughs) It, it makes that long um it well it's it gets me thinking um as you watch the show however you found it whenever you found it um, as we know, with, with shows now, when you can binge, you know, if you're at the point like we are now where, where you don't have uh, an off season, you don't have months between seasons, um, you can go from, you know, 101 right up to 412 and whatever time frame you want. 
when you start to see some of these different things, but then you step back and look at this from a, a writing point of view or a show Bible point of view of creating all of this, this was years, years in the making, different writing teams. I mean, certainly Emily's there as cornerstone, but you know, there's different writers brought in, how much she has to be overseeing some of the choices of dialogue, when some of these things come out, how much of the stuff was known for, was going to be done years, or what kind of came together separately. This is when it gets fascinating when you look at a show and how it's able to truly gel like that mm-hmm. for us as viewers to be able to have that emotional hit, and bring it all together. Right. And it's like watching, it's like watching a magic trick. It's like, you just wonder like, how, how did they do that part? And it's like, did they, did they have this part mapped out and so many different parts, but it's like, is, did this certain part, was this mapped out from the beginning for the long haul to get to the end, you know, to get to four, or was this something that was here? And then we worked backwards. Like, you know, how did that, and I'm sure it's just a mass combination of several different things, but I don't want to know some of the things because it's like <laughs> I said, it's like the magic trick. It's like, I don't want that magic to go away. You just, just appreciate it for what it is, exactly. you know? whether it's the magic trick or, or some of these show elements, you just look at it and just feel good about it. Um, you know, like I said, just appreciating it. This is very much a chance to appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, talking about appreciating i appreciate the scene where waverly is walking down the snowy road so very much i think this is one of the cutest scenes ever where she's just kind of pouting walking by herself and some time has passed since their unicorn run-in obviously um and nicole just kind of strolls up in her squad car and she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Literally, just like, just want to be alone. She's like, can I give you a ride? She's like, no, thank you. And she's just like at this snotty kind of, you know, standoffish tone about everything. And Nicole plays it so well. Just like, I've got a taser. Don't make me use, it. Make me use it. And, you know, you're going to freeze out here. Come on, just get in the car. Um, you know, not being pushy, but also like, knowing it's Waverly and she's going to cave eventually, you know, how long can she keep this, this bit up? And what comes next is just like this adorable word vomit from Waverly where she just unleashes on Nicole in a way that you would do with someone that you're comfortable around, you know, and she's going on about how shorties is going to be sold and things are changing so fast. And nobody's asked her if, you know, this is good with her and, she just wants everyone to stand still for one freaking moment, right? Um, and she's upset and she's almost yelling at Nicole. But Nicole, being Nicole, just stays calm, reassuring, comforting, like, you know, your typical Nicole. And she's like, you know, it's going to be okay. And Waverly's just so shocked by this that, like, she, she, I think she even says, you know, I just screamed at you. You shouldn't be this nice to me. And Nicole says, you know, I think you've just been dating too many shitheads then. Waverly backpedals immediately on the you know defensive and she's like we're not dating and the look on Nicole's face is another puppy dog hurt moment oh my gosh I'm crushed for her in that scene every single time when she says I know <sighs> she's she you know and this we saw some of the vulnerability of Waverly earlier with the you know, two different conversations happening at the same time trying to reach out and now we're seeing a little bit of it Nicole with 
Waverly withdrawing because of how uncomfortable she is with everything happening in her life. It's, it's a little too much. And unfortunately, Nicole realizes that, you know, she's, she's choosing to not have herself exposed too much, at least at this point in the episode. So, yeah. And, and it's, it's great that she, and I mean, Nicole, um, realizes that she kind of made a mistake in the previous conversation. So she's kind of reaching out by, you know, finding Waverly out on the road and trying to talk to her. And, you know, that comment about dating too many shitheads, Nicole realizes shortly after saying it, okay, maybe not my best choice. of Right. (laughs) And you got to wonder too, like what Waverly was thinking as she was doing her long walk down the cold freeway highway. And, you know, what, Nicole was thinking when she stormed off too. like, did Nicole come to the conclusion? Oh my God. Conclusion. Oh my gosh. I think she was just trying to like talk Open about to this me. thing yes. that was maybe <laughs> happening between us. And then on the other side, it's like maybe Waverly's shutting down a little bit too. Like her, her openness has kind of come to a, a halt. And then we have Nicole say what, what I feel is one of the most crucial lines of their whole relationship. When she says, God, I would never ask you to be someone you're not. And it's just, you know, it says everything about the pace and the tone in their of their relationship the way it is now and the way it's going to be for the rest of time. It's just such a great line and such a great philosophy that she she has regarding her relationship with Waverly. And and how many of us when we want to think about significant others or you know, important relationships in our lives just that's what we want from someone just mm-hmm. let me be myself uh, and that someone isn't going to try to make you into something they want you to be or they think you should be i mean it's it's almost overlooked in the sense of how important that is and how much that shows us you know who nicole is it, it says so much about her character because even with your best intentions that is something that so often happens in relationships. You know, if you could just be more like this, or if you could just do this and that's not who Nicole is. She's like, she, she wants Waverly for who she is and what she is. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, she's a unicorn. She really is a unicorn. (laughs) So she was wrong. She is a lesbian and a unicorn. unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. yeah, and also Waverly <laughs> just being like, you know, just just don't ask me to be anything. And poor Nicole just says, yeah, yeah, sure, Waverly, whatever you want. You yeah, know, we're just gonna, we're she, just gonna be friends. Yeah, That's when Waverly it. uses the when Waverly basically friend zones her at that point. Um, yeah, yeah. Talk about in, in several points in the episode where we're kind of wincing for Nicole. Yeah, it's a little angsty for me until yeah. till later. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and we don't have to wait too long because we we get the Gus and Waverly moments and you know, Waverly's just she's pissed off about the sale of shorties and Gus gives her the talk. Right. She's like, you you're not supposed to be this small town waitress, Waverly. You're too good for this. You know, you're going to go on and do bigger and better things. And Waverly's like, but I have like three T-shirts and say shorties. <laughs> I'm going to have to get a whole new wardrobe. What am I going to do with my life? <laughs> and Gus says, listen, you know, it's it's in the agreement. Shorties will never get torn down. You can work here in as many shirts as you want for as long as you want. 
But when you decide you're ready to unstick those wings of yours, unstick those wings of yours. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And then Gus hands her the mystery check that we don't know how much it is for what she calls her freedom. I still want to know how much that check was for. <laughs> Cash it. You're too practical, and You're too practical. <laughs> what it's symbolic. It's all it is. It's this symbolic. Check this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I have to know. <laughs> but what she's done is she's just, you know, basically said to Waverly, like, listen, I accept you for who you are. You need to go live your life. She says, some of the best things in life are the surprises it throws at us about what we want, who we want. You've honest, you've always been an honest kid. Don't stop now. Do you think she knew Waverly had feelings for Nicole? Oh, that question has been running for years. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I think Gus has been around her for so long. I think she just knows that she's been settling mm-hmm. champ, the job, the job at short. So, I mean, I, I think it's very much a parental situation of, you know, and, and how many of us come on at certain points in our lives, whether it was family commitments or financial needs or whatever have, have just mentally been beaten down enough to just think this is all there is. Right. So it, it is so important, especially at, at that point in Waverly's journey mm-hmm. to remind her, this isn't all there is to life. You get to decide. You get to choose. I mean, this the timing of this uh, from the story point of view and what happened with Nicole earlier and Waverly trying to find herself in so many different ways. This is so pivotal right. to it. I mean, it's got to, if you can put yourself in those shoes, that's got to be the thing that finally says, you know, screw it, go right. for it. Well, and I like to think too that, you know, Gus has been this big part of her life and um, she has to have noticed these changes happening with Waverly, right? Like we're, we're noticing them as viewers where, okay, she's, she's been with champ forever, but all of a sudden she's finally like realized like he's not the guy for me. And, you know, she's standing up to, to other people more often. And not that she's no longer being the nicest girl in purgatory, but like, you know, she's, she's asserting herself more. And I think that, that Gus definitely saw that and was like, good for you. Keep going, keep with that upward momentum, right. Or that forward momentum. Mm -hmm. So I I, I like to think she knew. and, And it's, and it's a small thing, but I don't think it's that small, especially in context of what we see eventually playing the episode, even the point earlier when Pete started to hit on her at the bar. Mm-hmm. when he's talking about knowing that she's no longer with champ, she shuts that down in no time flat. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, not, not, a, you know, maybe earlier, um, she might've been more uh, on the nice side of, of, uh, you know, kind of letting him think that there was a possibility of he and her or anything, but you know, I'm not that she had everything figured out, but she knew he, he wasn't part of it. Yeah. Absolutely. So kudos to her for seeing that too. Um, so I just think her mind, she's been thinking about these things and, you know, I don't know about you, but I mean that to, you know, specifically to you, Amber, even folks who are listening, I mean, how many times in your life have there been situations where, again, we all take comfort in routine and regular things, things we expect, 
And when something starts to happen, I'm not saying it's something bad that happens or it's something good. It's just something that changes your routine and gets you to look at your life a little bit, whether it's a big thing or a little thing. Those are the opportunities sometimes where we see things we never saw before mm-hmm. or some of the things we saw but didn't have the guts to go for it. Something happens to make us think, okay. So this foundational thing with Gus is just so important to what's going to happen very soon in the episode, but also very much in what's going to happen for seasons to come. It's just when it when I start to rewatch it, I start to get goosebumps just the moment the two of them start talking. Mm-hmm. And also, Gus redeems herself a lot for me in this in this act because you know she was so harsh with Winona. I think in the beginning we probably misinterpreted a little bit of that as just like. You know, nobody really knew. Yeah, tough love. And nobody really knew that this was the truth back then. So, like, it's a lot to swallow. So, of course, they're going to think, like, this can't be real. Um, But for her to to do this and just really want what's best for Waverly, um, she she redeemed herself. And she she redeems herself a lot later on with the whole Alice situation, too. So. There's that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so this is this is the push that Waverly needs to to get us to the sheriff's office. <sighs> the sheriff's office. I, I'm just gonna sit here and smile and let, let you take it, <laughs> let you take it from here. Well, before we get to the sheriff's <laughs> office, we have a, a question that we got from our email from a listener. Mm-hmm. And this comes from Tash. And they said, I'm not sure if you recorded your podcast for 109 yet, but I thought I'd ask my question anyway. At the beginning of the infamous couch scene, Waverly asks Nicole if Nedley is out for dinner, and Nicole says he's at Shorty's. Waverly had literally just been at Shorty's, so how did she not know that Nedley was there? I thought, it's a good question, but when I went back and watched it, I'm going to say Waverly went home to change before going to the sheriff's office. Because when she's working at Shorty's, she's wearing a Shorty shirt when she's talking to Gus. So she was working. And then when we see her in the sheriff's office, she's in like this big turtleneck sweater. So I don't think she came straight from work. I don't think much time passed. And I think that question is also a bit of a, if we think about ourselves sometimes when we, when we know something and we go to see someone and we, we already know an answer. Sometimes you just want to establish that the other person knows this information too, meaning she knows that Nicole probably is well aware of Nedley's habits at certain times of the day. Right. So she was just saying it just to make sure something, who knows if a emergency had come in on the radio in the few minutes it took her to drive from the homestead to the sheriff's office. Yeah. Just a quick confirmation. And who just knows, a, like yeah. he could have like, she could have gone to the bathroom in shorties to change. And like, she didn't see him when she left, but that doesn't mean he wasn't like, you know, Mm-hmm. The foosball table or something. We don't know. <laughs> foosball. I've, there we I've go. never seen a foosball table there, but I'm just imagining maybe there's one in the corner. Maybe the new owner's going to put one in. <laughs> maybe. It's already, <laughs> already been delivered. Uh, but yeah, so then we have our sweet, sweet Waverly. She walks into that sheriff's office on a mission. That's the word I had in my notes on a mission. On fire, on a mission. She is in a zone. Nothing is going to, she's committed to what is about to happen next. Um, And she starts closing the blinds. She pushes her way past Nicole. Nicole is 
dumbfounded. She's like, what is going on right now? What has got you all in a tizzy? And the next thing we know, Waverly is attacking Nicole with her lips, just on fire. And it is the best thing that's ever happened in television, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) I have never been so happy in my life watching a show. I, I, I don't even know if I have words for the rest of it. It's just the best thing that's ever happened. And I'm completely honest with you when I say watching it now is even better than watching it the first time. The first time and the times before that I watched it after the first time, because I'm not going to lie and say I haven't watched it multiple times. It's very good. It's very rewarding. It's very fulfilling. But now watching it for one of the first times after watching all of season four, I cried every single time I watched it this weekend. It's it's so it means so much more to me now than it even did before. Just knowing everything that happens, knowing their history, knowing that this is where so much of it started, knowing where it where it ends up. It's just this is such a magical scene. It you know, and and for someone like myself, knowing how many people this has impacted, how much it means to so many people. I I Still recall, as many of you know, Bonnie and Bridget and I, you know, were getting screeners. So we had seen this before it aired. Mm-hmm. And that anticipation of knowing how important it was going to be for so many folks. Such a joy, just such a joy to to know, you know, it was coming. I yeah, I don't it's a good thing I was never granted any screeners for anything <laughs> i don't know how i would have lived with myself probably would have had to like what lock yourself down and one room in your house not exactly like, take away my phone my internet i, I feel I like can't, i can't I risk getting this out there something and i really want to tell you but i can't tell you but just let me tell you you're going to be happy but i can't tell you anything <laughs> i would be horrible no oh. i'd be fine but um yeah it's just it's just such an amazing scene it's done so sweetly it's done so well it like you said it's meant so many things to so many people young and old knowing okay back up when the song by flurry starts to play when wildwood starts to play we know how the rest of that scene goes right but it's like the moment that music starts knowing that that song and that couch like repeatedly have appearances you know throughout their history just having Waverly be so vulnerable and brave and taking this chance and doing something that scares her is just it's just like this pivotal moment for them right and Nicole who's been so patient just waiting for any kind of sign from Waverly that like some confirmation that she's on board. And then here she is completely caught off guard, flabbergasted, confused in her wildest dreams. She did not see it playing out like this at all. And I, I can't even like, how, how did she not lose her mind? I'm talking about a character, of course, but yeah, everything about it is just so amazing. Like just, the way it came together and that we didn't have to wait 
forever to get mm-hmm. that scene. Especially based on what happened earlier in the episode. Yeah. You know, I mean, with them. This, this, this push and pull and this little tease. Yeah. And like I said, the way the, the show memorializes the couch later on and it comes back and how the song comes back. Um, it's just so special to me. And also knowing that, you know, this was something that was really important for Dom and, and their journey just like knowing all of those stories, it's just, you know, that story and then the stories we've heard about so many other people too. It's just, it's really amazing. And it's just such a gift to be able to have something like that portrayed on television that has meant so much to so many people. Very well put. Very well put. Win all the awards for all <laughs> the things. Um, it just feels really good to see any smidge of your self be represented on screen that way. It's just, it's, it's a real treat. I could go on forever, but I'm just not even making coherent statements anymore. <laughs> it's okay. Can feel, I, you can feel the love just coming through. <laughs> That's, you know, hearing you and others talk about it. It's just a beautiful thing. It's such a great scene. I like when Bridget asks, I don't even know if I can paraphrase this because Emily's answers are just so good, but she asks in her postmortem, why was now a good time for Waverly to make her move? And, um, you know, Emily goes on and on just saying like, you know, basically the decks have been cleared for Waverly and she has no more excuses. She doesn't need to pretend to be who others expect her to anymore. She's been encouraged by the people she loves to become who she ha- who she was always meant to be. The truth is Waverly has been on this incredible journey the past couple episodes, seeing death and demons in danger. She almost lost her sister in the last episode. I think she realizes that life is short and you need to grab happiness where you can find it. Again, these are Emily's words. She says, I like the subtext that Gus knows she has feelings for someone else, probably hot, and just tells her to go for it. I found that really surprising and quite moving in this small town. Which again, we have to remember that this is a small town, and these are these are things that many small towns don't take very well. And then uh, her last part of this, she says, "Of course, this is the very beginning of whatever this relationship is going to be. It's going to be a fun journey to watch them figure this out and how it's going to work out in this crazy town." You knew the end game, Emily, but of course you weren't going to say anything. It's like, however this is going to play out, we don't know, but it'll be fun. She says, um, Bridget says, can you tell us anything about their relationship moving forward? Emily says, it has a sweetness and genuineness that we strive to continue to foster throughout the rest of the season. But this is a dangerous place, and I think they're going to have they're going to have to guard their love as carefully as they guard their life. I'm so glad I did not read this article when I was watching this the first time because that scares me a little bit, this passage. And had I not known how everything is going to end up reading that, I would have been very scared for what's to come. Yeah, excellent point. I mean, it is purgatory. Mm-hmm. There's lots of danger there for everyone, but especially the concern about the two of them finally you know, starting their relationship. Mm-hmm. What an episode. <laughs> yes. What, what, a, what a show. What? <laughs> oh, gosh. Have I mentioned that I love this show? Oh, my goodness. 
you heard it here first breaking news break yeah i was gonna say shocking news of the day um or really good um (laughs) yeah because it's the as you just described that is such a monumentous part of this episode but there is also so much else happening yeah all of our characters too that we get to have the joy of that start to their relationship piecemeal with all this other stuff that's happening with with Bobo and Constance and Doc and Winona, uh, along with the the revelation at the end that Bobo's the one who bought the bar. It's like, oh, what next? Yeah, and why and what and what's that game all about, right? Like, you know, there's got to be some reason. It's not, is it just to piss everyone off? Is it just to be a jerk? We don't know. No, no. Um. Yeah, even, even Dolls redeems himself a bit with getting Winona's badge back to her a little bit. Yeah, and that whole move where it's like, "Oh no, you passed with flying colors." Your second assessment. She's like, "What second assessment? <laughs> what are you even talking about?" So for him to, you know, what? Yeah. Where was that shift? Was it the conversation that Winona had with him earlier, where she just laid it out on the line and was like, "You really hurt me." Did he take that to heart and then? fix it by doing this you know how did he pull that how did he pull that off yeah okay just put some paperwork in that said she did it i mean yeah that's the part we don't we don't know we don't know yeah gives her her badge back and gives her a special gift which is the revenant um which that was weird that like he just brought her a toy to kill like well, he that toy had gone into Shorty's looking for Winona. So he would since he was there with Nedley, you know, that was an easy take him an easy take snatch. him with me. To, yeah, take him with me over to BBD office because he had the plan to tell Winona she had passed. Yeah. And then he's the guy who ends up, you know, sending the message from Bobo. Dropping that, the news, oh, yeah. But, but um the whole don't kill the messenger, well she did. Or don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> she did. She did. <laughs> <laughs> and then I really like uh, Emily's tease for episode 10. Bridget said, what's to come in episode 10? And she says, episode 10 is really fun and is a lot of dolls and Winona working together. Doc and Waverly once again have an incredible B plot. And yes, Nicole Hot is in it. We <laughs> Just say just so you no. Know, she's still just there. Everybody knows. Yeah. Uh, she's not going anywhere, guys. <laughs> We encounter a really creepy, awful, not good to women villain who you will very much want to be seen shot with Peacemaker. We explore the terror of winter. And then she says, and then possibly our most shocking ending yet. Stay tuned right to the very last minute. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And we all know how that one goes down. That yeah. is a very last Show of minute. Hands. How many people <laughs> saw that coming? Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. I don't see any hands up. <laughs> but I love this tease. Like nowhere in this tease does it indicate what is about to happen in 10. It's a warning, nope. but it is not a warning enough. This is this most- is why I say. Reading these postmortems while we were watching the episodes, such wonderful insight. And then Emily drops something like that on you. you got, I got a whole week right. <laughs> to wait to get that. 
And even like, even with her saying like, quite possibly our most shocking ending yet, stay tuned right to the very last minute. You still would have never seen what was coming. No, I don't think so. No, no, no. I would love to see tweets from back in the day to see if anyone knew that one was coming. You know, I wouldn't doubt there aren't some sharp herpers who did. I, it's funny that Emily had asked me at one point. Um, I'm not sure if she had jumped on a, you know, whiskey and donuts hangout after we got this reveal in 10, you know, without getting too far ahead of ourselves or, or where it was, or if it was on Twitter, you know, uh, had I thought that, you know, Willow would be coming back. And I said, no, I had given some thought to maybe mama coming back first. Mm-hmm. I thought we, there was a chance she might make an appearance in season one. And again, totally wrong, but no, I had never, never given serious thought to Willow being back okay. myself. Hmm. Well, if I were to rate this episode, I would definitely rate it a 10. It's one of my favorites because of the foundational way hot. Um, yeah, there's no surprise there. It is definitely one of the really big ones. I mean, you've sat on that couch, Kevin. I have been very blessed to have sat on that couch with Kat Burrell and had my photograph taken with her. And so now you're just really throwing it in my face. You had to add the Kat Burrell part. It was bad enough you uh, well, sat on was... the couch, Kevin. I was happy for you. And now I'm just like, I don't know if I'm happy for you anymore. Now I'm just really jealous that you had to throw the Kat well, part the, in there. We have to give major props to Bridget because when we were on our set visit that day at the studio, since it was the day they weren't shooting at the studio, not all the lights were on everywhere. So when we were in that room at the couch and we saw it and, you know, we asked and Kat was very nice to say, let's all sit down and take a photo. Bonnie and I had iPhones. It was too dark for the iPhone to get a picture, but Bridget's Android. Boom. So that photo, if I ever share it, that you see all of us on the couch together. If we had all had iPhones, there would have been no evidence that it happened. Oh my gosh. Am I hearing like a glowing endorsement for Android <laughs> phones right now? This, uh, no, this I'm just sharing every facts. argument I've ever had with Casey. <laughs> <laughs> I am sharing facts. I have been a long time iPhone user myself. I'm not going to say there's anything that we need to do, but I am giving credit because if Bridget didn't have her Android, like I said, there would have been no evidence of that. Uh, so were you once like, in a lifetime thing? Were you like walking past this room? This is this is what I have conjured up in my head. You're walking past this room, and out of the corner of her eye, Bonnie spots the couch and is like, Psst, it's the couch. Did it go I down do like believe, that? I do believe it might have been Bonnie because you know, at the studio they have all the different set areas, the BBD, homestead rooms, shorties, and you know, Nedley's office. And like I say, there wasn't a ton of lights on in this area. It was wonderful. Kat showed up unplanned to be there when she heard we were going to be doing a studio tour. It was just us and Allison Baker from IDW. But yeah, we would just kind of walk in room to room to see all the sets. And I think there's a good chance it was Bonnie who poked her head in and said, oh, you know, it's Nedley's office. Oh, look, the couch. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, that was that was obviously very, very, very special. I imagine you had your checklist like gotta be the forehead brick wall you like that and bonnie's was blue couch <laughs> there you go you're like we're not leaving until i find this brick wall bonnie's yeah. like we're not leaving this place until i find that couch <laughs> yeah yeah that was i mean seeing the 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 actual sets i mean that was just 
knock you over with a feather because you're like, oh, look, look what the, like I told, I've mentioned in the past, the little notches on the door frame that mm-hmm. appeared in a couple episodes for the different heights when Waverly says she's not seen and a couple of uh, Winona's leather jackets were there on hangers. And so, yeah, there was several take your breath away kind of oh, the purgatory sign was sitting there against the wall. There were, there were several of those take your breath away, but that couch, obviously. Um, and, and again, kudos, as we've mentioned on our Tales of Black Badge to Kat, because she, she came down just because she heard we were going to be there taking a tour just to, you know, give us some other insights and stuff on, on her day off. So again, another example of just how special she is. Absolutely. I confirm. I think we did a pretty good job. It was a lot. It was, it's, you know, it's, for me, it's very much we're, we're, we are building. We are starting to really get, you know, I, I joked about not getting emotional too early on in our podcast. This one was a little bit of a challenge mm-hmm. just because there is so much important stuff here. And just thinking about the beauty of, of the beginnings of White Hot. Um, yeah, it's just, we're going to have so much fun on the future ones. But yeah, this one was a lot, but I think you did a great job weaving us through a lot of it in here. Kudos to you. It's always fun. Uh, like I said, I it, this episode, uh, watching it after after seeing the the whole amazing way hot love story unfold, going back to it now, it was it was even more heartwarming than it was the first time. If I I couldn't even imagine that being possible, but it was. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, another example of how special the show is. It still just hits the emotional beats so much inside all of us never gets old no no it does not it ages like a fine wine so i've been told i don't really fancy wine (laughs) i don't drink wine either but yeah i'll go with it maybe maybe one owner would say a good whiskey but that's okay we got there there we go (laughs) uh before we go we have a special reward for our listeners in the form of a giveaway don't we kevin we do for those folks who have been listening all the way throughout, didn't tune out quite yet. Uh, we wanted to let you know, and this is something we are not announcing anywhere else except here on the podcast. So it's only for those of you that are actual listeners. And if you're listening within the first couple of weeks after this gets released, uh, we have a Funko Pop, a Winona Earp Funko Pop signed by Mel to give away. Uh, if you go to the Winona Earp Pod Twitter account, in case you didn't see it about a week ago, we have another one of these to give away if you want to see a photo of it. But it's in the box, and Mel signed the box. So if you would like to enter, this is open to Erpers anywhere in the world. No restrictions there. Um, send us an email. And the email that's listed on our website and all, but I'll mention it here, herpologypodcast at gmail.com. In the subject, put in Funko Pop signed by Mel. And then in the you know, body of the email, just let us know your name, where you're from, just in case we have overlap of names. And get that to us by February the 9th, 2022. And then shortly after that date, we'll just randomly pick a winner from all of the emails that we get. And I'll, and myself, Rand, will be in touch to get your full address and stuff, and, and we'll send it to you. So just as a way of saying thanks for being along with us on this journey. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate you coming along. We appreciate hearing from you. If you want to 
get in touch with us, you can do that by visiting us at herbologypodcast.com. You can leave us a voicemail or you can leave us an email uh, through the website or like Kevin said, by going to herbologypodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter at herbology underscore pod. And a big thank you again for those of you who have reached out, as Ann mentioned earlier, someone by email or some folks on Twitter, whether it's just adding or DMs, love to see it. This is just such a great community and, and it's because of all of you folks. So big thank you. And until next time, we'll see you later. Take care, all. Bye.